Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey there, welcome back to Yolitics. You hear that in the background? Those are actual people. It's real people. This is not like, uh, you know, dubbed in later on. There's actually <laughs> a family reunion going on behind us here at Westlake Brewing Company in Deep Ellum, downtown Dallas, Texas. I think this is the first time I've been in person with you and actually seen you for, I, I don't know how long. I've been moisturizing, can you tell? Yes, yeah. you look different. I, I do. Somehow I all this time has gone by and you look younger. <laughs> hey, we are, uh, we're at Westlake Brewing Company. They invited us back, so I guess we were kind enough to them uh, last time we came here. And it's been Wheeler, a long time, though. Wheeler finally has someone to buy him beer instead of Mrs. Wheeler, <laughs> uh, who's been stocking the fridge all the time. So we're down here with a uh, with a friend of ours, a yep. guy we've known for for a long time, twenty years, man. I can't believe it's been that long. Ed Lavendera from CNN is with us here at Westlake today. And when we say from CNN, you know, people might automatically think like New York, Atlanta. Ed has always been based in Texas, so you've probably seen a lot of his work if you are here in Texas. Uh, and he's done a doozy that we have to get into today, to today. Yeah, what's going on, man? But more importantly. I'm an alum of WFA. You are a WFA That's alum. Right. Yeah, you were. Uh, yeah, you you worked here a few years before I got here. Right, right. Yeah. Back in the. Uh, oh man, we have to, We don't have to talk about dates. <laughs> Why are we talking about? Let's not put years yeah, on this. You know, well, yes, we, it was before you. It was before you guys got yeah, there. <laughs> exactly. Um, hey, before we get into the topic here today and, and how we convinced CNN to let him come on the program here with us, uh, let's talk about the uh, beer because not only did they can say yes, Ed, you can. Beyond Yolitics. Yeah. You can also have a beer you can toss with the Jasons with us. Yeah. on Yolitics. So, Wheeler, you start us off here with your little fruity beer. What do you have in here? Uh, it is not a, well, actually, it is kind of fruity, I guess, because coffee, uh, coffee bean is a fruit, isn't it? Uh, I don't this, drink coffee either. This is called a coffee porter. What do you mean you don't drink coffee? You don't drink coffee? I, don't, I, I limit What's my wrong with you. I, I don't drink. I really no, don't. It goes straight to the beer in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably right. So I'm having the coffee porter. What are you drinking there? Uh, unlike everybody else here at the table, I haven't sipped this yet. You guys are almost done. You're starting your second rounds here in a moment. I'm having a super dry, which is like a Japanese-style lager okay. brewed here in Deep Ellum. So let's uh, let's taste this one. And Ed, what are you doing? I'm having the Yall Star. I love that. It's an IPA, huh? An IPA, which I'm usually not a fan of, but in honor of being on this podcast, the Yolitics, I thought I'd, the perfect choice. The, how is the Yall Star there? Very good. Is it good? Yeah. And I'm not an IPA fan, so this is, this it, is very solid. You've also n- never done a podcast before, have you? No, no. Which is stunning because how, how long have you been in television? I mean, you know. I thought we were Here talking we about years days. Again. <laughs> Why do you keep going there, Wheeler? He's been doing this a very long time and has done long. some extraordinary work, including uh, documentaries, several of them, one of which we're going to be talking about today, uh, but never been on a podcast. Yeah, I'm not really sure why how that's happened. I listen to podcasts all the time. Um, I'm not sure how I'm not on this end. L- let, we'll let me tell see you how about, I feel about it after 30 minutes. Here. Yeah, uh-huh. well, well here, here's a warning for this podcast. Wheeler asked some long questions. So when we say 30 minutes, uh, about you know, a solid third of that is going to be him asking questions. So that gives you a chance to breathe. And to eat. We have pizza here at the table with jalapenos on it. And the, and the hummus is looking good. <laughs> the hummus is good. So, so listen, uh, Ed, we, we wanted to have you on because uh, just the, uh, a few days ago, you had on a documentary, your fifth one, I believe you said, and it's called Deep in the Pockets of Texas. Did I get the title right? You did. Deep, mm-hmm. deep in the Pockets of Texas. It was on Sunday night, uh, what, the, 20, the 22nd, something like that? Yeah, yeah, this past Sunday night. On CNN, yes, and sir. people can find it right now on CNN.com, I believe, On and if they subscribe to the CNN app. Yeah, if, if through your provider. I'm, I'm not totally exactly. Everybody's got a different kind of streaming service, so it totally depends on you know what you're subscribed to. And it is re-airing uh, Friday night 
might be a little bit late, but it's, it's uh, airing Friday night, uh, whatever today is, and, uh, at, at 10 o'clock okay. Central Time. Gotcha. And, and, and I found it again because I caught the tail end of it. I thought I had recorded it, uh, but I went into the CNN app and went down to special reports, and that's where it is. And, the, and there So it that's is. where you look for it. And, and the, the documentary, if you didn't get a chance to see it, uh, or if you did get a chance to see it, we're going to get into uh, kind of all of it here. The documentary really, really talks about, uh, about money and influence. Uh, in the state of Texas here too. It reports on two oil men from West Texas, um, Tim Dunn and Ferris Wilkes. These aren't household names that I had we never all heard, know. I had never heard of either of these two guys, Ed, before well, you did this. But you know, these two guys are, you know, every, every few months when there's an article in the newspaper or you do an update and, and there's uh, campaign finance reports and you know, Greg Abbott has raised this much money, Beto O'Rourke has raised yeah. this much money, and then you start kind of going down the list or whatever. You know, these guys are often mentioned in the, the 20th, 25th paragraph of, of that story. And so they're not household names. You know, I don't think most people get, get to that part of the article and, and start drawing the connections between their donations and what is happening in, in Texas. But they're not household names, but these guys are kind of the puppeteers who are really running things behind the scenes here, right? In, incredibly influential and have been for at least the last 15 years or, or so. And it is stunning to me. I mean, there's one moment in, 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 the, uh, in the documentary where we wanted, I wanted to kind of show people that, um, that these guys are, like, nobody knows who they are. Even the most you know, Republican of voters, you walking up and down the street over and over and over again, you'd ask people, nobody, nobody knew who they were. What gets me, though, is how Republican candidates and Republican legislators absolutely know who these two are. When you put this whole piece together, it runs. For, it's an hour-long documentary, and you really get the sense that these two guys are pulling the strings all over Austin, and you go, that can't be. You, you, it can't just be two people in Texas. There's a lot of money in Texas. We know that. It can't just be two rich guys in Texas who are having that much influence. But then you broke down how they do it, Ed, and I think that that is fascinating, that not only do they write checks to candidates, there's all these super PACs that they write checks to, and those super PACs write checks to the candidates. Absolutely. So you, you start kind of peeling back the layers of uh, all these different groups that can, that can donate, um, empower Texans, defend Texas liberty, uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation, mm -hmm. you know, all of these things. And I think most people's eyes kind of gloss over at all yeah. this stuff. They seem like, you know, kind of normal, quiet, grassroots operations. But, you know, the fact is that they're run by very smart, very sophisticated uh, political players. And in large part, that's that's kind of what's going on. And we really wanted to take take all of that reporting that has been kind of done here and there for years and years and try to put it all together in a way that you could kind of digest exactly how, how it all kind of un unfolds. So let's lay out who these two guys are. Tim Dunn, Ferris Wilkes, they're from out in West Texas, Midland Odessa area, I believe. Tell us who they are, why they're involved in politics then. Well, Ferris Wilkes you know, uh, lives in Cisco, Texas, and a small little town out near a Abilene. Um, they made uh, a, an enormous amount of money in, in, in the fracking business. Um, and he, he also runs a, uh, a small church out there. He's, a, he's the pastor of, of a church. And he lives out there in, 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 in Cisco in this massive, massive compound. It's like, it, it's, it almost looks like a palace. And his church is just down the street. So, you know, they're very entrenched in, in Cisco. They're, they, you go anywhere in town, everybody knows who they are. 
um, and 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 Tim Dunn uh, worked in, in, in came up in that he runs a company called Crown Quest out of out of Midland, uh, similar background where they've made a pile of money in in the oil business and they have been they also have Tim Dunn has also created a. Um, a, a school out there. There's a, a church that he's, uh, you know, very influential in and very connected to, um, and all of that is very close to, to where where he lives. So, you know, a lot of times pe- people in the kind of the Texas political world, you know, they, you know, they call them the, the West Texas oil mine. Mm. You know, you, you mentioned the church with both men here, and I think that that's a, a really key pillar of this. You know, when you watch this documentary. How, how much of a role their faith plays in this and how much of a role that plays when they choose candidates and when they choose issues. Uh, talk just a little bit about how interwoven that is when they are dealing with politicians in Austin. Oh, well, and at the local level, too, I suppose. I mean, they, they do races from school board on up. Right. We talked to Shelley Luther, who you guys have covered extensively oh, yeah. for the last few years. Um, you know, we asked her, and it's like, you know, what is it that they want to know? You know, you, have, you essentially have to go meet these guys to get their money. You, you kind of get put through the interview process, if you will. Um, and, and they ask you a bunch of questions. You know, and Shelley Luther told us, you know, one of the things that, you know, they wanted to know, are you a, are you a good Christian candidate? And, and obviously that plays a key role into their decision making. Mm-hmm. And, and Shelley Luther, just to refresh our uh, listeners' memory, she's a Dallas salon owner who during COVID, the initial shutdown, she defied the order to close her salon. She became a hero in the right, and she ended up running for a couple of offices unsuccessfully. Here, here's a question I have, though, Ed. There are a lot of billionaires in Texas. You know that, man. How did these two guys, Tim Dunn and Ferris Wilkes, how did they you know, emerge to the top and, and have such influence uh, with our leaders? Well, one of the things that they did is uh, through a group called Empower Texans. They started that group, they right? Start, uh, Tim Dunn, and uh, there's a, another gentleman named Michael Quinn Sullivan who kind of runs mm-hmm. that operation. So you're, you know, years ago, if you're a Republican primary voter, you have probably received in the mail this thing known as the Texas Scorecard. And maybe you think something of it, maybe you don't, maybe you don't have any idea who's behind it or, or what the deal is. But that scorecard essentially ranks Republican lawmakers on how conservative they are and whether or not they've cast the, the right vote, if you will. And a lot of people make their decisions when they go into the voting booth based upon what that scorecard says. Yeah, and, and remember, Republican, let, let, let's break it down. Republican primary this year, 2022, there are, I think, a little more than 17 million registered voters in Texas out of 30 million people. Right. Less than 2 million Republican voters, not Democrat, just on less than 2 million people voted in the Republican primary. Hmm. So the, the amount of influence that that small group of voters has on Texas politics is enormous. And I don't think the average voter understands that. You know, you hear a lot about the lack of participation in the, in the voting process. Right. You know, and, and in a lot of these elections, the Republican primary is the only thing that matters. They're That's, choosing the winner. They're choosing the winner. Some For these, November, because right, none, there may not people, be a Democrat or a Democrat may have no chance of winning in that area. Exactly, exactly. So that Republican primary, and if you really break down what these, what these guys have done, they're incredibly smart. They're worth billions of dollars, and it doesn't take but a million dollars or so to really move the needle in a small Texas state house race in East Texas or out in West Texas. So the amount of influence you get for the amount of money you're spending is really stunning. I think that's part of this, too, because you hear two Texas billionaires and you think, well, they're dropping crazy amounts of money. I was surprised in watching the documentary how little money they're spending actually. I mean, it's a lot of money to me, but it doesn't sound like it would be a lot of money to them. 
But you know, the whole point that you're making there is in these races, I think we all assume that these races just have so much money flowing through these candidates. Some of them don't. And all it takes is you know, a shot like you're talking about. And in a lot of these races, you showed us how much of that candidate's total take came from these two men and their affiliated organizations. Count, and it's substantial. Several times we heard from people who said, you know, such and such candidate would not have stood a chance had it not been for the Wilkes and Dunn money. Hmm. So, and, and Senator Bob Dool, the East Texas Republican, and let's be very clear, many of the people that we spoke with, like, you cannot mistake any of these people for, uh, for you know, crazy, crazy liberals or, or anything like that. Like, they are... Uh, incredibly conservative Republican uh, officials who have worked in the state for a, for a long time, and they will they will tell you that you know, like I think Bob Dool was telling us that Bob Hall, the current senator from that district, I don't think he had much of an idea of who this guy was until all of a sudden he showed up and he's able to send out all these flyers and he's able to, you know, and it was you know from Bob Dool's standpoint, he's like this guy became a very viable candidate because all of a sudden he's able to afford flyers that end up in tens of thousands of people's mailboxes and all of a sudden you've got you've got some name recognition mm-hmm. yeah, at the end of the day I, I don't think people really understand that the, the role money plays um, in, in politics when we talk about so-and-so raised so much money or, or an opponent raised a lot of money money helps candidates of whichever party define what they're talking about define themselves so they don't get defined later on by another candidate what you just mentioned Bob Dool in the documentary you talked to Bob Dool who is a former Republican state senator you talked to Kel Seliger another uh, former Republican state senator who was out in West Texas. Did, did you have trouble getting these senators to, or these former senators, to talk about uh, Ferris Wilkes and Tim Dunn? It took a, took a while. It, it, it took a while to get them. And, you know, well, why, why do you think they talked to you? Um, a couple different reasons. I think you have a divide in the Republican Party here in Texas. I'm t- talking kind of on, on the state level. Right. Where you have um, a lot of Republicans who do not feel comfortable with the way this is going. And so this was their... The, their, the movement to the right of the party. Yes, the, the, what, what they view as kind of the extreme right and, and no longer really being kind of governed and influenced by, by good politics, in, in, in their words. So I think they felt kind of compelled by it. Bob Dool is no longer a state senator, so he's... <laughs> he's not beholden any fundraiser. He's, yeah, he's not, he's not fundraising. He doesn't have any elections coming up. And Kel Seliger is exactly the kind of guy who we're talking about. He has chosen to retire... Um, you know, he was probably seen as a victim of the, the recent redistricting and kind of drawn out. And if you, if you notice that, we end the show on how Kel Seliger is no longer running. It's an open seat. A man named Kevin Sparks is the man who won the Republican primary out there in West Texas. Kel Seliger, for those of you who don't know, represents far West Texas, basically from Amarillo down into Midland. So he's mm-hmm. essentially Tim Dunn's state senator. Uh-huh. Well, well he gets uh, he's retiring he's no longer running Kel Seliger's seat is going to be uh, taken over by a gentleman named Kevin Sparks who is a friend of Tim Dunn's out there in, in Midland and he's running unopposed back to our original point back in he's running unopposed in November but l- l- let me ask you again so I think he felt to answer your question I yeah. think he felt compelled he you know it's like it's it's I don't have anything to lose at this point Hmm. But but as far as how these guys, with all the money in Texas, as Jason just mentioned, how Tim Dunn and Ferris Wilkes got to where they are, they do the scorecard that Empower Texans does. It's very influential that a lot of conservative voters look at. They, they donate a lot. I, any other reason you think that these guys really just kind of surfaced to become so powerful and influential, uh, you know, 
with Republicans? Well, it's it's hard to get the kind of money. For example, if, if I'm if I'm a candidate and I don't have a lot of name recognition, I got to make thousands and thousands and thousands of phone calls to get you know a million dollars, right? right? If you're going a hundred bucks at a time, you're you're going to be working the phones non-time. If all of a sudden one guy shows up and just gives you that pot of gold with one phone call, mm-hmm. you know what are you going to do? So there's there's that aspect of it, and then the other thing that they, that makes them so influential is that that scorecard is key because as one person told us, if if you don't vote the way they want you to vote, you can expect somebody to run against you in the primary. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, that makes your life a lot more complicated. And I thought one of my favorite quotes of, of, of all of this was someone who told us, is like, even if their candidate loses, they win because chances are that they've pushed the winning candidate farther to the right. Yeah, because they don't have a, the, a point. necessarily the greatest track record in every election. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of their candidates don't make it, Shelley Luther being one of them. But you're making a great point there. Just by entering somebody who pulls the other Republican in the race far to the right to try to convince those primary voters, you've succeeded in what you're trying to do if you're these two men by pulling politics more to the right in Texas. And let's look at the example that I think most, the average voter out there in Texas might has probably picked up on. Because a lot of this documentary started with this idea of Texas passing some of the most conservative legislation that has made national headlines. That's how we got to you know covering a lot of this, whether it be the abortion bill, whether it be voting restricting voting access, mm-hmm. you know, a whole abortion, yeah, bathroom bill, the I mean, bathroom yeah, bill, all this. Yeah. And so we're kind of asking ourselves, what is this? What's go- what's going on here? Well, if you look at, for example, Greg Abbott, Greg Abbott's opponent, Don Huffines, was largely funded by. The Wilkes and Dunn network, hmm. and what has Greg Abbott done in the last year and a half? He's pushed further right. Right. So, one of the, I think one of the I think I can't remember exactly who who told me this. I think it was one of the, one of the Republican lawmakers said, you know, they have an enormous amount of influence over Greg Abbott without even giving him any money. Hmm. Wow, and over the state as over well. The state. Uh, let because me they're pushing him farther to the right. Right, which yeah. is exactly what they want. Wow. We, we keep on going back to this whole notion of the scorecard that shows how conservative uh, individual legislators are uh, based upon how they vote. And, you know, it's one thing to go, well, you know, voters are looking at that and they're making decisions based upon that. But you connect the dots in this piece where you're showing that it's not just voters looking at it, it's the lawmakers themselves, and they're sort of checking, you know, where do I stand right now on the scorecard? And they're even being told in some circumstances during a legislative session, this is a quote-unquote scorecard vote. So, you know, vote accordingly. That 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 was really stunning to me. You know, because how many times do we watch the video of the lawmakers on the floor and they're walking around to each other's chairs and they're talking about and talking, you know. And you always wonder what's being said. I mean, how many times do we sit there as reporters and be like, man, I really wish I could, (laughs) I really wish I could eavesdrop on that conversation. It's probably pretty enlightening to what I should, you know, what's going on there. It's like, now we kind of have an idea. Yeah. Yeah. But both of these guys are preachers, Tim Dunn and Ferris Wilkes. You you pointed out earlier in the podcast and in the uh, documentary on CNN. Uh, Why haven't either of them run for office? Um, Any idea? Well, if we'd been able to talk to them, we know that would have been one of the questions. You know, they are incredibly, um, I don't know if secretive is the right word. They, they definitely love uh, operating behind the scenes. They, they were never going to talk to us. You reached out to we, them several times. Mo- for months, months yeah. and months. And we reached out to, you know, people around them who could, you know, put uh, our requests in. And we called them directly. Um, Did you got get some very back? Did you? Uh, no, after a while, they kind of just went, you know, radio silent. And, um, you know, I, I think I got uh, Wilkes' assistant on the phone uh, at his office one day. And I was like, 
And she, you know, I think there was a moment in the documentary which we used just to kind of illustrate that. It's a very polite no. Oh, oh no, <laughs> but no, no, it's no. definitely yeah, a no. No, it's definitely <laughs> a no. Yeah, don't 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 sit around waiting for the call. And and I and, and look, I, we talk about all of this not as a. It's it's not my job to pass judgment on what what these guys uh, the, the the merits of of what they're passing or not. But I think it's important for viewers and listeners to be fully equipped with the information and then they can decide, you know, how, how they how they how they feel about it. And from that standpoint, I think it was, you know, a little bit of a, a disservice to, to voters if they had spoken, you know, they would explain what it is that, you know, their what the, what their goals are, what their agenda is. And, well, we'll and talk I think those are fair, legitimate questions. Yeah, talk about some of those. What are some of their biggest issues? You kind of mentioned a moment ago. What are some of the biggest issues that these guys have been behind that people would know about? here in this state. Well, if you notice right now, and it's very subtle, again, you got to follow this stuff very closely, but if you've noticed in the last few days, you're starting to see a lot of lawmakers talk about school choice. Mm -hmm. And repeatedly we've heard over and over- Private school vouchers and things like that. Right, And, and, and that is one of their, if not the most driving force, the biggest driving force, I think, behind what what their what their goals are. So basically, they're trying to take public school dollars and funnel those dollars to private schools through voucher programs, so that parents have the choice to take their kids out of public school and go to a private school of their choosing, which could right. be a religious school, let's say, uh, and the public money pays for that. Right, and that has been a. A, a goal of these of these men for for quite some time, and again, this is one of those things. It's not the sexiest of issues, right? It's it's a little bit in the weeds, and but this it, affects it affects millions you know, and everybody. millions of Texas children and but, their parents but, too. And and it has had virtually no support in the areas that are the most conservative in the state. So this has come up before, but one of the reasons why it has never really succeeded is because rural Texas which is the reddest part of the state, right. has been against it very much because in a lot of these small communities, public schools are um, the kind of like the, uh, the, the central part of the, the community, backbone, yeah. the backbone of the community, thank you. And, and it's also you know, one of the bigger employers. So mm. there has been a lot of uh, hesitancy in rural Texas to in, kind of do anything that would cripple public education. So, th- so this is coming up now. It has been in the news a lot lately. Governor Abbott saying that he is really wanting to get private school vouchers uh, passed. Uh, on Inside Texas Politics not too long ago, we talked about this because this has been talked about ap- you know, legislative session after legislative session. And now, all of a sudden, it seems like it's going to be one of the top priorities when legislators return in January. What are these guys doing specifically, though? Are they giving money? Are they saying, hey, we're going to judge you on this? Uh, what are Tim Dunn and Ferris Wilkes doing, though, to really make this an issue now? Well, look at what has happened in the last couple of years. We, we followed, we profiled the case of James Whitfield in, in Colleyville. He was the right. principal mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. who was uh, driven out of his job, accused of pushing critical race theory, which he, uh, he says is, is nonsense. If you listen to him and you listen to Zach Maxwell, who was the chief of staff that we interviewed mm-hmm. for a, for a uh, state legislator, you know, their goal is to, in the words of Zach Maxwell, Zach Maxwell, is to kind of cripple public education, knock the legs out from under it. How do you do that? I think that was one of the most stunning quotes that, that I saw in the entire piece. And, and, and I thought, I bet a lot of people have never thought about this here in Texas. They, they, they don't know that this is going on behind right. the scenes, that this is a, a project. They believe, and they kind of tell us, that they believe that one of the reasons these issues 
are getting so much attention and that they're pushing them so hard is that it's to undermine trust in the public education. So if you get a bunch of people who think, oh, public schools are just indoctrinating my kids, they're, you know, CRT, and if you're against all of that, then all of a sudden you're going to be much more open to the idea of listening to, to school choice. If those guys believe that all of this is part of that kind of mission and that, and that goal to kind of undermine public education. So it's, it's on the surface, it looks like it's a kind of a very grassroots kind of thing, something that's popped up in, in, in the last couple of years. Um, but these people will, will argue that it's, it's actually a little bit more organized than that, that this is part of their end goal. And we've seen this growing, this, this momentum that has been building even at school board meetings in different school districts where it has gotten very contentious uh, in, in the last school year. And that's why you know I brought up that this isn't just state legislators that we're talking about who are receiving some of this money. It's down to the school board level because that's where, as you mentioned in the piece, you know, they touch you the closest. I mean, that's the, the politicians who are the closest to you are the ones who affect your life the most. Right, right. And, and I think they, they understand that. They know how they know how to mobilize on a very grassroots level, um, and that's why you can you know you can get a, a coalition of parents, and they kind of they you know they, they believe that um, things aren't going the way they want them to go in in a school district. Um, and and they, they mobilize. They become very kind of politically active, and that becomes a, a huge influence, and it drove someone like James Whitfield out of, out of his job. And for our listeners who have probably heard CRT, critical race theory out there, CRT is illegal in Texas. Right. It's also important to point out that Republicans have run this state for the past 20-plus years, so if something's going on in public schools, it's been happening uh, while they've been in office over the last two decades. With total power. With 100% power. You mentioned a moment ago, uh, Ed, um, about, and it mentioned in the documentary how Dunn and Wilkes, are, they backed Don Huffines, the, the farther right Republican challenger to Greg Abbott. Why didn't they like Abbott? I think, and again, without having spoken to them. Even um, though you tried. Yeah, we tried. We tried. <laughs> um, I, I think Huffines represents and is open to many of the things that that they would hmm. that they would like to see probably on on the school issue um, and one of the big things I, th- I think I think the, uh, the the COVID restrictions also played you know uh, a huge role you know Greg Abbott has kind of been taking it uh, yeah. beat up from both sides right like uh, right. you know he's he's for the, the the number of Democrats and liberal Democrats in in Texas they you know think he's done a terrible job and he's getting hammered from the the far the far right so he's he's trying to navigate I think this. Uh, uh, this this narrow path, um, you know. But there are some people who will tell you that they don't understand why exactly. That you know, Greg Abbott, what did he get? Like over, more than sixty percent in the in in the primary. It wasn't really that close. Right. So some people kind of wonder, is like, why was he so worried about the, these people? Well, He's extremely. Why was he? You know, there's someone else who won't talk to us all that all that much, but. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, but as you mentioned, it pushed him to the right, though. They, they, right. they got yeah. their way there. Uh, and, and it sounds like, uh, when, when listening to this as, you know, in aggregate, um, if you're one of these candidates who gets this money after you've been interviewed by these guys and they feel good about you and so forth, it's not just a matter of, okay, good, got the check, and now I can just proceed and not have to worry about this again until, you know, maybe I'm up for re-election. It sounds like you get regular calls, and it sounds like it doesn't take a lot uh, to run afoul if you tend to vote one way or the other that, you know, maybe they weren't looking for. Yeah, the, uh, Zach Maxwell, the chief of staff, regular phone calls, 
you know, it's it's almost like they say jump, you say how high. Mm. And and Bob Duell kind of said the, the same thing. It's like you cannot deviate too far from the, the the list. Think about that though. That is a lot of power if you're talking about two men essentially in a state this size who are able to make regular phone calls like that and as you say it's sort of the you know uh, how do, how high do you need me to jump kind of thing with multiple lawmakers that is a lot of power concentrated in two people yeah and you're you're not even the elected official but I also want to be clear too is voters have supported this right so it, you know it's um, I think in some it, cases unwittingly but yeah yeah but you know it, it's it, if, if voters had such a huge problem with it, then they, you know, they they wouldn't have they wouldn't have voted. Now, would their votes be different if if they fully understood what was going on? I have I have you know it, it's hard to say. But on you did some, talk to one guy though who had no idea and said, hmm, maybe that is something that right. I should have seen and read. I that might have made me think differently. Right, and he, and he and he was someone who voted for Shelley Luther instead of the the incumbent Republican, and you know you kind of made him second guess. Um, but I think. Uh, to to a large extent, voters in Texas have been comfortable, on clearly because they they've, they've won elections on on some level. So I don't want to make it sound like you know we're you know bashing these ideas. They have you know to, right. be, to be fair, they have they have found some support. And, and you mentioned that you tried to reach out multiple times to Tim Dunn and Ferris Wilkes too. You point out in the piece, uh, Dunn said he's spending the money to make state government more transparent to voters. Uh, more accountable to voters, I think, was the word that you used. Wilk says he wants to elect principal conservative leaders um, as well. When it comes to money, though, I, I suppose you and your team went through all these fundraising records because yep. you've been working on this for a while. Dunn donated uh, $18 million to candidates over the last decade. Ferris Wilkes, $11 million, too. Here's what I, I, I'd heard this in the past, but I hadn't looked into this too much. Texas is just one of 10 states that let people make unlimited contributions to state political candidates. I didn't realize that, but that, that I don't want to say it's a loophole because it's, it, it, it is what it is. That is fueling these guys, right? Right, right. And, um, and I believe, uh, and that, yeah, so that's why you can get like well, Shelley Luther's campaign. I, I think like, well, like well, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head. The, uh, it was like close to 90%, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, there's a real question as to whether or not she could have even have been a viable candidate if... If she doesn't, if she doesn't get that money, she have the money. Yeah, you know, and that, and that happens in, in in a lot of places. And Bob Duell made, made made that point. He said, you know, he, it turns uh, people who aren't necessarily qualified to be a lawmaker into viable candidates instantly. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I think it's interesting the the device that you used in this because you did try repeatedly to talk to these two very influential men, uh, and again, a lot of people do uh, agree with their, their 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 beliefs and their politics. Um, and I thought it was really interesting though that we were able to hear from them and able to get into their thought process and into their minds because you were able to pull up uh, some of their appearances in church where they're speaking. And it does give you insight uh, into sort of what drives them. And you spoke to people who, you know, had worked closely with them about what drives them. And it sounds like faith is a big part of this. Uh, and it is a very specific uh, way of thinking. Right. Some of, the, some of their strongest critics, um, and we, we, we touch on this in, in the documentary, is that um, they believe, the, the critics believe, that uh, these two men are pushing what is often described as Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's essentially, um, 
and we had an expert talking about this in, in, in the show. So I uh, talked about how uh, essentially, uh, I think in, in, in the expert's words, that uh, the idea of the separation of church and state is, is, a, is a one-way wall, right? It's to keep government out of the church, but not necessarily church out of, out of the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is definitely a very kind of Christian view of the influence that, that government, government should have. This whole idea of Christian nationalism um, is, is, is something that uh, has really terrified many of the, the critics who, are, uh, who have been kind of going after uh, Ferris Wilkes and, 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 and Tim Dunn. Um, and this expert, you know, like, he believed that much of what these men have said publicly and what is available known about, about them is that, you know, they kind of, they, they flirt very close, if, if not uh, in, intensely with the, this this idea of, of Christian nationalism that was the types of questions we you know we had, we had hoped to kind of uh, ask them but uh, you know they're they're they weren't they weren't going to do that. What kind of feedback have you had on this? Um, it's been interesting. I, I the the two themes that I keep hearing over and over again is I had no idea and it's terrifying. Um, and you know the terrifying part is is you know that's not for me to decide. It's for you know, but I am fascinated by the first part of a lot of the feedback I've gotten is that I had no idea, and I really think it kind of speaks to I think one of the, some of the things that we talked about before. It's like these are the guys that get talked about deep in in a in a newspaper story about campaign finance reports, and most people just don't get to that. And you know, I don't fault them, but I think um, it's important for readers and viewers to. Uh, to educate themselves as, as, as much of, as possible. Like it, and this is really, really hard work, and it falls on us as yeah. journalists to kind of tell these stories as, as clearly as possible. And I think, you, you mentioned this, Jason, that, that it was seeing it all in one place. Mm-hmm. And that was, mm-hmm. as we were reporting this over the last seven or eight months, like that's kind of the point where we got to. It was like, you know, we, we see bits and pieces here and there, here and there, but and there's never really one big piece that connects all these dots in one kind of easy to digest kind of way. And that was that as soon as we kind of like reached that realization, man, we were we were kind of like, you know, we, we were going running down the hill at that point. It was like, oh, this is all very clear to us now. This is this is a good way to kind of tackle this issue. And did I'll you, close. Did, uh, did you have oh. any? I'm sorry. Let me ask you a follow up to that. Ed. Did you have any Republican pushback? Anybody say, no, this is not what's going on out there at all. Um, many of the Republicans, we that was the other real, real important is, yeah. you know, we, we used, um, we wanted to use examples of how this influ- this affects certain people. So you hear from Libby Gonzalez, you hear from James Whitfield. Those are kind of the, the people on the, on the, uh, uh, on the, on the edges of, right. of, of what, what the reality of a lot of these, these laws are and how it, how it affects everyday people. But to get into the nitty gritty of exactly how this works, it was hugely important that, that we hear from the Republicans who are in, in this and living right. this and experiencing this. Um, I think there, there's a, a state a state lawmaker, a Republican from Fort Worth, uh, um, uh, Charlie Green, I believe. Aguirre, yeah. Charlie, and, and I think he tweeted uh, yesterday, someone had shared the, the link to what we yeah. were, to our, to our reporting. And his, his quote was, I've lived this. Hmm. You know, so there are a lot of Republicans who know firsthand. You know, if you look at, look at Dan Branch, the former mm. state rep here in the, ran in the for down- attorney general against Ken Paxton. Ken Paxton defeated him. Yeah, exactly. So, who was largely supported by by the Wilkes and, and Dunn network? So, you know, there are some people who tell you it's like there's no Ken Paxton today if it wasn't for for these guys, you know, bankrolling his his early runs in, into office. So, Ted um, Cruz is another. Yeah, in the, in, in in large part. So, yeah. you um, you. you 
the, the Republicans who have spoken with us kind of come from 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 that wing. I think I think there are you know uh, I would imagine those close to to Wilkes and, and Dunn who've just really kind of shut off the faucet talking to us. Um, they, I would imagine they don't totally agree, although um, um, uh, Michael Quinn Sullivan, um, the, the night the, that the documentary aired, his, you know, he had a tweet, and they haven't really responded, but he had a tweet that said, you know, when your enemies are uh, busy complaining about how powerful, you, how powerful you are, it's best to just sit back, be polite, and, and, and listen. So I think that kind of speaks to the way they're... <laughs> He's probably right there, though, too. And, you know, and it does underscore the fact that whatever you think about this, uh, you know, these two men who have this money and are able to spend it this way aren't doing anything wrong. No. This is this is the these are the rules of the game, and they're just playing the game as the rules lay out. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, this is not to, um, you know, I, I'm sure you know, people say, oh, you're just trying to, you know, cast judgment on what they're doing. It's like, no, 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 that's not what the goal of this is. The goal of this is to show people kind of how the, the, the process works. And, and that's then, enlightening when you start connecting the dots and you go, oh, wow, yeah. okay, okay. Uh, my last thing that I wanted to close with was, you know, we, we think about this here in Texas, but, you know, the, the point is made in this documentary, you know, that this is something that they want to take national. And we have seen that. We've seen things that have started in Texas, like SB8, the uh, bill that allowed people to sue other people uh, for abortions. Uh, that got copied in other states. And, and this is something that, you know, they're actively pursuing is to sort of take this thing beyond the incubator of Texas. And I think not only that, I, mean, I think it's easy to say, oh, they want to influence presidential politics. But if yeah. you notice, like on a national level, if you pay attention to what's happening in places like Arizona, places like Pennsylvania, where is the, the, that, uh, that, that extreme right wing of the Republican Party, the people who are election deniers, um, and, and, and open to that to that kind of the 2020 election deniers. What are they What are they talking about being the most focused on right now? They're focused on school board races. They're focused on county commissioners or whatever these local races are. School boards. These guys have been doing that. They're ahead of the curve on that. It's almost like the rest of the the country has kind of woken up to the influence that these guys have, and they're incredibly motivated. They have incredibly motivated uh, followers and people who b- believe in, in, in their ideology. Uh, they're, they're highly motivated. And a template that works. Template, yeah. do, Ed, do you, do you think the state legislature, last thing for me, do you think the state legislature would, um, w- would try to close this up as far as fundraising goes and donors go that, that a person can only give X amount of money? I mean, it seems like they could, they could fix the It probably depends on if you're one of the candidates getting a lot of the money. Yeah. Well, that's a good yeah. point, but you know they, they could fix their own uh, their own situation here. If you have people like Kel Seliger and Bob Duell talking to you, former you know I don't, Texas lawmakers, I wonder if anyone would ever even consider something like you that. Talk, you talk you talk to more of these guys than I do on a on a, on a weekly basis. Um, I don't I don't see it. I got to be honest, I don't see it. You know, Texas. Is, I, I travel around the country for this for for CNN, and you know, Texas is one of the most difficult places to get. Uh, open records. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the most difficult places to kind of get like the most basic, transparent information of, of, of government. Um, and if you kind of follow that model, it's hard to think that they would kind of want to be able to kind of sh- shut down. 
Plus, yeah, how do you? Have, get, have you ever tried to navigate the Texas Ethics Commission website? <laughs> it, it, it is tough. No, it it'll is, take you it, all yeah. day when you're trying to dig up these numbers. It's it's hard. It's, it's not it's not easy. No, I'm, I'm with you there, man. Well, plus, how do you get people on your side with this? I mean, so many people decry like, oh, there's too much money in our politics. Usually, I think they feel that way if the other side that you know, if they're yeah. with a candidate or a side, if the other side is spending a lot of money, they don't like it. But you know, how do you get people behind that? Because people say it, but it's usually not one of the things that they go into a voting booth caring about and, and cast a vote about did you look up wheeler to see how much he donates oh my god oh, no. i don't give anybody any money ever that's, that's, that's the second hour of the documentary <laughs> <laughs> ed lavender everybody uh cnn correspondent a longtime friend of mine uh hey man good work on this it's fascinating someone did connect the dots on this because we've heard these names uh i th- these are two people i've never interviewed uh, tim dunn mm-hmm. or ferris wilkes but but to see their operation and, and to have it all put together like this is enlightening uh, and, and I hope I hope people take the time to actually watch this uh, on CNN.com or, or, or wherever they can find on it the on app. CNN. I just want to add, I, I came up in Texas news hanging around the state legislature way back in the day. Yeah. And to date myself a little bit, I was a... Oh, was now a, we're going to do it. We'll do it. It's, it's, it's the end. I'm going to hope like only four people got to the end of this. <laughs> right. Listening to me. <laughs> but, you know, I, I came up around covering uh, Ann Richards and George W. Bush. Yeah. I was a senior in college. Those working, were interesting times. Working, working for uh, Channel 8. WFA back in the day in, in their Austin Bureau. And so I really think it's incumbent. Back in those days, you know, every station in, in Texas had, a, had an Austin Bureau yeah. covering yeah. these things. Um, and, you know, I just think it's incumbent on, and if, if I can help in any way, uh, I want to, because I really think that uh, Texas reporters, we need, you know, it's been, it's a, it's a tough time. It's a tough media world that we live in right now. Um, but us doing our best to tell these stories i think is is really invaluable to voters out there and, and you know we need viewer support we need reader support um and so that we can go around and and do our best covering all this stuff because it, it is not easy this took us months to kind of weave together in a way that i hope is useful to viewers um that's just not something you just wake up one day and decide that you know uh, i'm gonna have it on by the six o'clock news tonight i think that is a great point uh because you know so many of us now are civics ignorant and uh, you know life is busy we don't have time to keep up with all of these things you're not making any judgments in these piece you're laying it out there uh for for everyone to decide what they think about this and it, it's a it's a fascinating education in what is really going on in Austin. We see the veneer all the time. We don't usually see behind the scenes how the sausage is made. So if you can find it, please look for it in you know special reports there on your CNN app if you have like a streaming service or whatever. Uh, and again, it's called Deep in the Pockets of Texas. Ed, good to see you, man. Oh, you guys are wonderful. Thanks.